Are you a business owner looking for real advice and input? You're in the right place. From concept to launch to growth, funding and beyond. Welcome to Startup Hustle with your hosts. One once sold a business for $150 million. The other, the author of Million Dollar Bedroom. Here are your hosts of Startup Hustle, Matt DeCorsi and Matt Watson. All right, all right, all right. Back with another episode of Startup Hustle with the legendary Matt Watson and his follower, Matt DeCourcy, here to talk about growth and scalability in part four of five of our series on how to start a startup. Was that an intro or what, Matt? I think it was a pretty good one. You know, anything I can do to try to help you feel better about all the problems that we're going to discuss today, which <laughs> the question is, is are they really problems? They're the kind of problems I'd like to have. They can be good problems, but they're still problems. They're still hard. Right. So if I'm doing things right, I'm going to probably have more problems, right? You're going to have different problems. Okay. So what are we talking about today? Well, I started this business and, you know, I just thought it'd be something that I do because much like our previous guest said, I'm just a guy looking for something to do. And now it's getting kind of big. And I've got a lot of issues. I got a lot of stuff to deal with. I can't handle all the orders that are coming in. I'm, you know, my uh, server is overloaded. I've got people lined up out the door. What do I do? So, so you're saying you've built something that's bigger than you? Yeah, I have. That was the original goal, right? Yep. Yep. I think we, before we ever even started uh, episode one, we definitely defined that being an entrepreneur was about building something that is bigger than you. And with that, I think that's what I've done. So what kind of problems do you have when you start to scale? I mean, I think it depends a lot on the type of business. And, um, and maybe we should define what, what does it mean to scale? Well, that's a great question. I mean, technically, in like the world of hobby cars or something, scale is a much <laughs> smaller version. It's still in the same, uh, what, lengths and widths and stuff like that. I don't build, if I build a model, anything, it would not look like it did on the box. So I, maybe I shouldn't even be on this episode. Well, the good thing about scaling is you, you, you turn the corner and you become more of a, much more of an optimist, right? Like, Things are growing. The machine is moving. We're getting customers. Maybe we're doing everything to screw it up in every way, but for some somehow, some way, we're succeeding. We're growing. Right? right. And that's why I was saying at the beginning that these are good problems to have in a lot of ways. Like, I'm never going to be upset that I'm selling too much stuff. And if I am upset for that reason, I'm upset about the wrong stuff. Now, maybe before we get into solutions, we should talk a little bit about some of the things that can cause growth and scalability problems. What do you got? Well, a lot of the times it's the wrong people. Okay. And the other times, a lot of the issues that, that we've had, even with my current company and, and previous companies, is when you're first getting started, a lot of times you're holding things together with uh, duct tape and bubble gum. If you and even have that, right? It's just whatever it takes yeah. to make it work, right? You're like, yeah. whatever I got to do to get a customer, get my first customer, get that MVP out the door, just make the shit work, right? And now all of a sudden, you're like, okay, the shit works. People want it. But it's got all sorts of hairy problems that nobody knows about. Those hairy problems are causing me lots of issues that are going to prevent me from scaling. Now, when you're unable to scale, some of the problems that are going to end up in your lap 
are going to reduce your ability to grow as a business. They're going to reduce your ability to sell or provide services or really do anything. And it's really important to wrap your arms around these things or, 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 or choke them out, do whatever you need to do to get them fixed because they're not going to go away on their own unless they're going away on their own because you're now headed back down to where you started, which isn't selling stuff. There's a lot of things that can be caused with uh, scalability issues. Like you're going to end up pissing people off. You might end up with, uh, you know, a thousand bad reviews on, you know, there's a lot of stuff that's tough to do, but the main thing that but, you and when you're first starting out, you don't care about any of that, right? You're right. lucky to get a review, right? No, I agree. Right? Right. These are all growth problems. Yeah. And, but the problem is, is some of these things are scars that are tough to heal. Now, if you're able to get to some of these issues and problems before they are scarring your business, I think you're going to be in a much better uh, place. Now, for me, in the past, the thing that has probably caused the most issues has just been inexperience. And I think that, you know, that's still in the category of what you were just talking about. You really don't know what your business needs until the moment you realize you don't have it. And that's not an uncommon problem. Um, and look, you know, you, there are tens of thousands and millions of businesses that would love to have the problem of what do I do with all these sales? What do I do with all these customers? But, you know, treating, I had that problem. You did? Yeah. It wasn't a very fun problem at all. Tell me about it. Well, so back in my, my old days, my last company at Ben Solutions, we got to a place where we were signing up 50 to 100 new accounts a month. And these were big, kind of big enterprise sales. Each each new account took a lot of setup and onboarding, training, configuration, all this stuff. And, you know, when I got 50 salespeople, they're out selling stuff. But then I got an implementation team that can't implement stuff fast enough that I've got like a, you know, when somebody signs up for my product, I got to tell them, look, it's going to take you three or four months before I can even install you because I'm so backlogged. No way. Next thing... And next thing I know, I, all my salespeople are taking phone calls all day of just pissed off people that right. can't be installed fast enough. And now they can't sell anything. And they can't sell anything. They're not making any commission, and they want to quit. All because I can't install my software fast enough. So what did you do about it? Knuckled down and worked through it. You, I mean, it was it was hell, but it was a good problem, right? It was a good problem. But um, part of our issue was we so much there was so much labor involved in getting an account set up it wasn't very turnkey and the team just wasn't big enough and we weren't able to hire people fast enough train people fast enough um really what we had to do was streamline our systems we had to you know how how hard it was to like import somebody's data had to be done faster quicker more efficient. and i think for context we should mention the year that that was occurring because a lot of that data i remember when we first uh when you first told me the ben solution story uh you use the comparison that uh, uh, digital cameras still have the option of some had a floppy disk. Yeah. Well, meaning the 3.5 yeah. hard disk yeah. that wasn't Not the floppy. Not SD cards. Right. And, you know, the the bandwidth problems and just all that issue, wasn't, it wasn't a, uh, a very quick solution to transfer data in a lot of situations, too. And that was probably a challenge, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So the, when we were really growing, it was like 2010, 2011. But... Um, yeah, I mean, we had that problem. We were growing faster. And we know what to do with. And there's nothing more frustrating than, you know, being a salesperson in a company like that that has the hottest product in the world and can sell the shit out of it, make a bunch of money, but then nobody can install it, and they all want to cancel. Yeah, that's that's rough. And I, 
That's a terrible place to be. And I, it's tough too to try to tell your salespeople, hey, you need to uh, triage this situation. And, and it's not a great way to get off on the right foot with a new client. No. So right around the time you were having that same issue, I was having my own problem. Um, here I am, I'm running this, this uh, event ticketing company that I'd started a couple years earlier. And we went from, you know, we did 10 times more sales one year than we did over the, the prior year. And all the things that worked for us the prior year didn't. And we had issues because here's the thing is if someone's going to an event and you got to get them their tickets by X time, well, you better get it to them because you don't want your tickets to Saturday's game on Sunday. So we had to do a lot of things that, well, first off, we had to review all of our processes. We had to try to figure out where we were being inefficient. And a lot of times, scalability and growth problems are very easily diagnosed by just where is everything stopping? It's, it's like, a, um, you know, like a dam or whatever it is that's, that's causing things. And, you know, it's wherever this flow of what you're doing, what you're providing, what you're selling, what you're delivering, any of it, where does it stop? And that's usually the first place you can start fixing. So like with us, we had a problem delivering. We were literally selling stuff so fast that our outgoing deliveries were no longer able to occur on time. So your issue was with processing orders and inventory and all the detailed paperwork and all the kind of back office stuff that had to be done. Yeah, and I'd really like to get my accountant in here to tell everyone how much she hated me <laughs> at the time too, because, you know, sometimes when you're dealing with scalability issues, you have to make decisions and you have to prioritize. Now I, I, I have enough experience to know that I, I'll sell everything under the roof and everything that I can, and then worry about counting the money later. And uh, what does Kenny Rogers say? You don't, you don't count your money while you're sitting at the table. <laughs> But it's true. So, but the problem is, is sometimes you're just creating another problem. But so, another problem. So earlier we talked about having the right people and eliminating the wrong people. And and in your case, I'm going to guess that you probably weren't the right person either to be doing all this work. That was the bottleneck. Well, I right? wasn't. Like that, I wasn't. Your personality yeah. doesn't lend you to even doing that. No, I, I had already abandoned the whole concept of being the person that did that. The problem was it was actually my wife, Jill. Mm -hmm. And you know, you can only stuff envelopes and do stuff so fast, we fixed it through uh, automating some things. And, uh, you know, also doing things in batches, like rather than stop what I'm doing, print a FedEx label, get these tickets, like we would print all the FedEx labels, right. you know, do that and just do some other things. And uh, but, but I think my point is when, you know, as you grow from a company that's, you know, the founders and you're hiring, you're hiring people, there are certain work that needs to be done that that the founders just aren't good at, right? right? Like I'm a software developer and there are certain things I'm really good at. There are other things that I'm not good at. And if that is the the weak point of my business, I've got to be able to identify like, look, this is not a task that I can do. It's not my strong suit. I need to hire somebody who's really good at that thing. And, and I believe you're familiar with the term opportunity cost, right? Yep. Okay, well, and that can be defined as the value of the foregone option, meaning what is the value of what you chose not to do? And that's another thing you can do is you can really rack up a high amount of opportunity cost if you're trying to do a lot of stuff that isn't necessarily your strong suit or what you are best doing for your business. You so, could be selling stuff instead of stuffing FedEx labels. Right, and you know, I used to work for this company that had this very 
it's not, I don't even want to say it's a unique problem, but they, they would take their best salespeople and turn them into store managers because this person seemed like an all-star. And the problem was, is they needed a store manager. So this seemed like a good option. And then all of a sudden they're taking their best salesperson out of a role that was generating revenue and they couldn't really figure out why they weren't selling as much. Now that's not necessarily a scalability and growth problem, but it could be. It's a big people problem. And just because you hire, you know, Johnny to be your first software developer or your first salesperson or whatever, that doesn't mean that they're the manager of sales or software development as you grow. They may be a terrible manager, but they might be an awesome at their job, but that doesn't mean they're going to take that leap. And, you know, as a founder, as a small company, you want to sort of reward people and you want to grow with them. But a lot of time, those people are not going to grow. And you've got to be smart enough to realize, like, Johnny's really good at writing code, would be a terrible software development manager. I need to hire somebody else. You know, another thing that kind of goes hand in hand with that is sometimes in an attempt to try to solve things, we oftentimes put people that earn way too much for that role into that role. So here you've got someone that's making 40, 50 bucks an hour, and you have them spending 10 hours a week doing something that, you know, you can hire out someone for 10, 12 bucks an hour to do. You know, I have, it, you're, you're very familiar with the fact that I have an office in Cebu City, Philippines. That's actually how we fix a lot of our scalability problems, um, because they're on a 12-hour time difference, and they were able to do a lot of work overnight. And so the next day when we got up to start, a lot of those repetitive and repeat tasks were all queued up and ready to go. Right. And we rolled with that system for the next seven years. So you've told me in the past before you've helped some other businesses fix some of their their operational problems and, and stuff like that to help them grow and scale. What were some of the good examples of projects you've done for other people? Right. And I'm not going to actually name the businesses, but I will give you the scenario. Um, there was one, there was a retail store and that had gone from uh, roughly a million dollars in sales one year to 12 million in sales the next year. And a friend of mine um, had asked me to come visit him and took me over to see their business. And I kind of sat there for a day and I observed it. And it was very, um, you know, this had, was a business that had a lot of promise, but you know, much like we've been talking about what worked at 1 million a year in sales wasn't even close to working. Um, what I did was I just sat there and I watched the business and you can actually see where things stop. Like there was uh, customers forming lines at the counter. There were places where inventory wasn't getting out to the floor for two or three weeks after being received. And, you know, this retailer sold things that were trendy and hot. So having something that's popular now and really in demand now and not having it for sale until two weeks, eh, not so good. Um, they were really reliant on paper and, you know, just a lot of stuff. They had two systems. They had a system like a point of sale type system that ran their website and they had a different one in the store. So, you know, it was identifying where redundancy exists, existed as well. And then one of the things that I thought was the most interesting was also watching the patterns at which workflow occurred. So they would receive a package from the mailman. They would walk it to the far corner of the store to do something else. And then they travel back with it you know, in a different direction and they're basically walking inventory and other things like all over the store. Uh, the ways that we fixed some of that was we built them a system that uh, removed the paper 
and had their uh, the their clients filled the you know, basically put the burden of filling in the paperwork out on the clients and not on the uh, and not on the the uh, the store staff. And this was a business that uh, sold consignment stuff. So with that, we also made it like the DMV. If you had all your stuff filled out ahead of time, like from home, and you came in with the printout that we made, you didn't have to wait in line. And it took about a week till everyone started doing it because no one wanted to wait in line. Um, I also went around during those first couple of days that I was there and I asked the people that were selling stuff there, the employees, I said, what's the worst part of this business? What do you need to fix right now? If you could change one thing here, what do you need to do? So, you know, that, that went over, a, you know, for example, like traveling around the store and taking too many steps. We just created like a little one, two, three process that all occurred in a 10 foot stretch in the back room. And just that alone, a, a lot of times your solutions for growth and scalability are like that jar of change that's on your dresser. You have to put it in 10 cents at a time. Yeah, it's no. not just a silver bullet. So one of, one of the favorite sayings I heard a long time ago was, you know, if you can get 1% better every day. Yeah. You know, that's 30% right. over a month. And <clears throat> right. it's all those little changes of like, oh, I don't have to walk 20 feet to do something and, mm-hmm. and um, little adjustments. Now, I think the key is for our listeners, though, if, if, if you're just starting out, you don't necessarily want to perfect all these problems day one, right? Like you would just want to be in business. You, you want to you want to get customers, make money and start to grow. And some of these problems will never present themselves until later. And you don't want to try and solve these problems before you need to solve them either. So. I have a couple of things that might help you with that, though. Always ask yourself, will this work later? You know, and, and I also like to say, you know, act as if. Act as if your company has 50 locations and $200 million in revenue. Now, that doesn't mean go around and tell people that, but have the mentality of that's where you're going because it'll force you to make decisions you know, it's not a good idea to sacrifice the long term on the altar of the immediate. And, you know, we do that a lot because, like you said, we just started this business. We're trying to keep up. Maybe things got a little far out ahead of us. But with that, it's also important to consider is what I'm choosing a solution or am I just putting a Band-Aid on a gunshot wound? Well, and sometimes you don't know. You don't know the answer to that, right? So a good example of this is at StackFi, we you know, we released a new feature of our product and we wrote the code, got it all working. It worked fine. Well, a year goes by and we had a lot of people using it now and we realize it's costing us a lot of money in hosting to run this software and come to find out just a few code changes and we we're able to remove like half the number of servers that we needed. Now, at the time, we were just trying to make this stuff work, trying to get people using it, right? And then as the things you know, the software itself started to have a lot of customers, and a lot of usage, we were able to find ways to improve it to save us money. And, you know, one of the, the problems Had that you considered that up front, though, or was it just kind of like, ready, set, finish? Well, there's some things that so to your point of, of, of the other examples, in these businesses, like if you only had to, you know, accept one order a day and walk all around the store, like it's not a big deal. But when you got to do it 300 times a day, yeah. all of a sudden it becomes obvious of like, okay, this is a problem. It, that was that was the point that I made to the business owners that I was trying to help with. I was like, you need to consider this isn't just about doing it better. It's also about the fact that I, I actually timed uh, one of the, one of the uh, employees at the store. And I was like, wow, this guy, there might be like a minute worth of steps here. And now we're going to do this uh, 50,000 times Right. A year. Now think about what that adds up to. And you, once you start doing that math, 
it can be kind of gross, actually. You can really, and, and by the way, try to do it or think about this. That's why I say act as if and ask yourself, will this work later? Because I've been in situations where I haven't done that. And then I look back at it and I'm like, oh my God, like I left huge amounts of money, not just on the table, but on the way to the table in the bathroom, like everywhere. But there's, there's a balance to this. So you can get that money back, right? No. In, in software development, there's, there's kind of one of the famous sayings is uh, premature optimization is the root of all evil. That's because somebody wrote a book about it uh, in like the 60s or 70s or whatever. Um, and really, it's just about, it's about this same problem, right? Do premature I, optimization? Yeah. So do I spend, you know, how many hours, days, and weeks do I spend trying to make my code as fast as possible when I may ship it and nobody uses it? Right. Right, or but that's may, back to the to the shop owner that never opens because right, he's trying to keep right. the store too. And clean, so right? it's always the balance of these yeah. things, right? So when you're trying to start up, you're just trying to make shit work, and you're trying to get customers. And some of these things become self evident. And I, I think the the way you you put it earlier, the asking yourself, will this work later? And sometimes you you can say yes or no, or I don't know, right? And so a lot of times when you're writing software specifically, the answer is always going to be I don't know. You know, I, I mean, think about these cryptocurrency exchanges right now that that are went from having not a lot of customers to hundred thousand a day, so hundreds of thousands right. of new customers a day. And I'm sure when they they built this stuff, they knew okay, it's for high frequency trading, whatever performance is important. But they didn't know what all the broken spots were in their code. Be and now careful, those guys be are, careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And now all of those cryptocurrency exchanges are no longer taking new customers mm-hmm. because they can't keep up. And by the way, that's a huge problem. Yeah. Like, I mean, it, it, when I think about, okay, what I love to have the problem where so many people signed up for Gigabook that I had to turn off the site, maybe, because I think I would probably feel sick that I had to turn it off. Like, that's like, that's pretty much my worst nightmare well, is you, not being able to sell something because we don't have a cash register. Well, if your software is performing that badly, you can sign up for Stackify and we'll help you figure out why it's so slow. Okay. Just let me know. Let's We're actually, right down the hall. Let's actually, and that's true. Let's actually <laughs> talk about that a little bit because, you know, I hear people say a lot, I'm not a tech person. There are literally 10 million things out there that can probably help you with your all of your problems that don't require you to be a quote unquote tech person. Right. And, you know, one of the things that I pride myself on is I'm self-taught. I Google has taught me Google is like my daddy in a lot of ways. I mean, I'm just being honest, like Google, it's like Google, 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 like it's like my three year old asking questions. But you know, there's just so much information out there. And there's so many people that are sharing info, like, for example, your uh, developer blog, you're just sharing solutions that could take you like forever if you ever did figure them out. And all you got to do is ask Google and at least maybe get some advice. It gives um, you right to the Stackify blog every time. Right. And you can, you know, you can run into so many different things. There's so many options out there for simple technology that can change it. And, you know, that not having a silver bullet solution is the thing that you need to understand. Like it might require 10 different things and small doses to come to a cure. Now with that, any, t- any of my businesses that I, I own, advise, or consult for, I am a, I'm in a constant state of examination. And it doesn't, 
you know, I don't mean I'm like they're micromanaging every step in detail along the way, but I always look at stuff and you have to consider efficiency and where it saves you. And like, it's not about always about downsizing your labor budget. It's about if I can take 20 hours of wasted time a week here and put that towards something that makes the business grow rather than just bailing water out of the canoe, that's a good thing, right? Right. Yep. So have you ever heard of a tiny general? Nope. And it's not, it's not just a little tiny person dressed like an army general. But one thing that I've seen businesses do that I think is a big mistake is think they're creating the solution and it all, it all comes down to one person or one thing. And maybe if it's a software platform or something like that, that's your solution. You don't have another option there. But if your whole entire plan for scalability revolves around one person, that's not the definition of scalability. Scalability needs to be repeatable. It needs to be able to get bigger or smaller, pretty much on demand. Now, the tiny general is that person that you worked with that's on a power trip because they're the only person that knows how to do X, Y, Z. They love being the hero. Yeah. And what did you say before we hit record today? You don't want a whole organization of heroes? Right. Yeah. Or was that after? We well, you don't, want, you don't want people running around, um, you know, putting out fires all day, right? Like so-and-so is the only person who can solve this and so-and-so is the only person who can solve that. And and it's just a bunch of fires and problems and, and it's hard to grow and scale that way, right? That, and, that can be a problem with with software businesses, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that we experienced with Gigabook. And sometimes it was also like, and the, and these tiny generals also are very territorial. Don't touch this. Right. Because that's their job, right? All right. of a sudden, if you eliminate their job, because you don't need them to be the hero anymore. But what happens when they're gone? Did, did the hole in the boat just open back up and maybe not even have the right material to patch it with now? Well, so this reminds me of uh, one of my family members who won't go on vacation because he's the only person in their church that knows how to run the sound system. And so I tell him all the time, I'm like, what happens when you get hit by a bus? Church what stops. is plan B? Yeah. Somebody else is going to figure it out, right? Like, so, I mean, you, you, you know, when you have employees or co-founders that you're working with, you don't want them to uh, be that hero all the time. You want other people to always have like cross training. Somebody else always needs to know how to do these things. I think another thing too, is don't be afraid to ask for help. Yeah. You know, and, and whether it's you asking for help or, for example, the, um, the example that I gave, I worked part-time for that business over a three or four-month period, not even part-time, an average of about 10 hours a week. I didn't go do everything for them. I helped them create a plan and implement it, and I made sure I, I stood behind them and Nope, you're going to do it this way. We don't do it that way anymore. We don't do it that way anymore. We do it this way now. We do it this way now. And it takes a change in, in culture. But there are also people out there that can help you with that. There are people that have experience with that. There's a world of information out there. And, and, I, and I would say that that's really important. So I think when you're in the, in the job, you know, doing the job every single day, you are so close to the problem that it's hard to understand what the problems are and how to improve them that you're just sort of just dealing with the whirlwind of it, that sometimes it's, it's great to have, uh, be it a mentor, a friend, a consultant, whoever come in and say, hey, look, whoa, 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 whoa. If you would just change this, this, and this, it'd make a big difference for you. And those things might be really obvious to them, but to you, you're just so heads down in the weeds of all of it that you just can't even see your way out of it. 
Did I ever tell you the story about Thomas Edison and the hydroelectric dam fix? No. So, you know, way back in the day, whenever that was, uh, Thomas Edison, who had, you know, innovated generators and everything, there was a hydroelectric dam. It was like, I don't know, Niagara Falls, something like that. The facts of this story may have changed a little over time, but anyway. So this thing, the thing breaks and they can't get it on. They have to call Edison in to come fix it. He gets there, and there's engineers on top of this thing. They're on the side of it. They're underneath it. They have like 10,000 pieces of paper out. He looks at all of it. <sighs> Everyone get out of the way. Get out of the way right now. He looks around, looks side to side, sees a toolbox over to the side, grabs a giant ball-peen hammer, looks underneath the generator, winds up and smacks the shit out of that thing, starts right up. The next day, or some point that week, the city got a bill for $10,000 for fixing the generator. Rightfully so, they asked that it was itemized because it just said fixing generator, $10,000. So they requested line items. So Edison then returns this to him or to them and says, Cost of fixing generator, $1. Knowing where to hit generator with the hammer, $9,999. But that, that's your point, though, is sometimes some people know how to hit it with the hammer. Um, that, the whole entire consulting, coaching, and improvement business pretty much relies on the fact that these people can transfer a lot of information or solutions. That's why they charge so much per hour. Well, they can probably tell you in an hour what you would take two years to learn. Well, they're experts at it, right? Yeah. So, I mean, if I had problems with my website, for example, of I get a lot of website traffic, but I don't do a very good job of converting those into leads. Well, it's not my expertise, but there might be somebody that I could pay a couple thousand bucks or a few thousand bucks, come in, help me for a few weeks, uh, and help me fix these things, right? Yeah. And make a huge difference. Like, I don't need a full-time employee to do that if I could get a contractor it's, it's that, no different, that's what they do. It's no different than when you took a class in college and you paid four credit hours for whatever. And, you know, it's, it's a lot easier than trying to figure some of this stuff out. You know, the business that I was describing earlier, the most challenging part about that is we made all those changes and got everything going, and we never shut the store for one single minute. So we had to change the tires on the car while it was moving. And that those are other, that's even more challenging and, and more of a problem. And, you know, the first thing that had to exist in that business was the owners had to know they had a problem. They knew they had a problem. Now, I'm going to drop some uh, reality on you here. Change is tough. It is not easy. It is easier to just continue sucking than it is to get better. Change is a process, not an event. Right. And with that, you have a lot of the work's guaranteed. I like to say my, my favorite uh, madism is success demands payment in advance. It's a guarantee. Success, you have to pay for it in advance. And, and the same thing goes with improving your business. So I've seen a lot of business. I run into this a lot with Gigabook. You know, the I'll talk to a business owner and they'll say, oh, we've got to change this. We've got to change that. And I, I say, you know, that means you're going to have to change too. You have to change your culture. You have to change your thought process. And they get a day into it and it's just too much work. And they're like, eh. Probably the one thing that I grossly underestimated about the service that we were providing is the people had to want to change. Right. And, and not just, there's a difference between wanting to change and being able to. Well, and I think as part of being a founder or a co-founder in a company 
is realizing that startups are largely all about change, right? As yeah. you go from having one employee to five to 10 to 20 to 40 to 50 to 100 to 200, whatever, depending on your company, if you go through those growth cycles, there's so much change along the way from your role, your responsibilities to the people around you, the, the, the right people you need on the team. You know, Johnny, you hired as your first developer is not going to magically be like some big executive when you have 200 employees, right? Like, and you have to understand that, that those dynamics are going to change constantly. So after I examine it, I can diagnose a problem and then I can write a prescription, right? Right. Yep. Okay, now, much like medicine or other things, sometimes that doesn't have the desired effect, right? Yeah, you're going to think so you got it figured out and you don't. So you go back and do it again. You right? just keep trying and trying and, and trying. And you do it again and you do it again. You keep and hustling. You do it again and you do it again and you do it again. It's, you know, I hate to keep bringing up Edison, but he went through like 2,000 tries on the light bulb before he got it right. Failure is a part of improving. Now, if you can build a well-oiled machine, the beautiful result, in the end, sure, it might be money, but the most valuable thing you'll probably find is a little peace of mind. That's kind of what Stackify does for people, doesn't it? It is. We, we help them improve their software and, and help them uh, monitor their machine. But I right? get the peace of mind of knowing that my website, hopefully, isn't just crushing every opportunity that on its way to me. Yeah, we can tell you if it's working. The, the, the whole key to a business at this scalability stage is building a machine. That's the way I yeah. always describe it too. It's repeatable, it's, it's, predictable, and the and eventually the machine just starts to move. It, it just starts to produce cash. People somehow magically come in, they buy. Um, I just got goosebumps. I love that. Like I'm such a business nerd that like what you just described is is my dream. Like yeah. that's why I. I, I love to see it when things are just popping. And yeah. like you said, it's like a machine. You can just picture this locomotive. It's and, like and, just cruising down the track. And, and the machine can be held together by a little bit of duct tape. There can be somebody laying on the tracks on the way. I wouldn't. And, I wouldn't and you might believe, be the person on the tracks trying to screw it all up. But somehow or another, it keeps I working. Would, I wouldn't believe that it was actually, that it had actually gone through hell and back if it wasn't covered with duct tape. Yeah. And had a squeaky wheel. And maybe like a paper clip holding something. And it's okay. It doesn't work. And it's okay. It doesn't work. It works. Yeah. Now at the end of the day, that's all your customers care about. Right. Right. Well, you know what? I'm I'm pretty stoked. I'm I'm excited. I want to let's go start a couple more businesses. Well, we gotta figure out how to scale this podcast first. Mm. You know what? We we almost forgot something. We need to do a Rochambeau to see who's gonna answer questions on the startup hustle chat about this episode. You ready? All right. I do need to point out for record, Watson did beat me at Rochambeau to see who paid for lunch. That's which, two times in a row for lunch. Yeah, and, but he won on the sushi day. I always <laughs> went on the hamburger stand day. So that's kind of like five ones. All right, you ready? Ready. Ah, uh, Corsi wins after two ties. You guys are going to get pretty accustomed to Matt Watson answering your questions in the Startup Hustle chat. Um, <laughs> look, that's, that's a, okay. That's a really great community. I've really, uh, 
I, we'd love to see more of you in there. Um, we're finding that people that are already in there are getting great answers and interaction with the other people that are listening to the startup hustle. We've had uh, people from all different walks of life. We, we had a couple of people asking about patents. We had a drone company, uh, a food edible like food arrangements or something oh, like yeah. that. Yeah. 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 So we've had a lot of interesting people and we'd love to see you in there. But what we really want is to see you keep coming back and listening to more. We'll be here for you next time. All right. Thanks everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Startup Hustle with Matt DeCarsi and Matt Watson. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit startuphustle.xyz. And if you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Startup Hustle.